Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 366th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, we're going to school on this episode. Excellent. It's been a while. It has been, <laughs> it's been a, a while. Hot minute. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of haunted universities out there. And on this episode, we're going to be covering the University of Northern Alabama. Before we get into that, we have quite a few people to welcome into our spectacular crew. Callie with an I-E, Mike, Jim, Michelle with two L's, Peggy, Ron, Whitney, Ryan, Courtney, Taylor, Justin, Terry with an I, Alyssa, Kelly with an I, Teresa with no H, Bill, Nell, your friend Lisa, who we all know as Geo-Lisa, and Tracy Polly. Woohoo! <laughs> Hot diggity dang. That's a lot of people. That is a lot of people. Thanks for joining us. And now, this moment in oddity. The moment in oddity was suggested by Chelsea Flowers. We've all been on the phone or listened to a podcast with someone who has a heavy accent. We have to listen extra carefully so that we understand what is being said. At least that is the case with English. But we imagine that it could be the same for people who speak other languages. And while some accents almost sound like another language, we generally understand what is being said, especially in America. That is the case with most states and cities, except for Tangier in Virginia. Tangier Island is off the coast of Virginia in the Chesapeake Bay, and despite it being 2020, the island is fairly isolated. One can only reach it by boat, and the people who live here want to stay insulated from outside influence. Families here go back to colonial times, and this is reflected in their distinct dialect. Their tonal pronunciations go back centuries, and the vernacular they use makes quite a bit of what they say unrecognizable. The accent is so thick that most people would assume that they are speaking a different language, but it is actually English, and that certainly is odd. And now, this month in history. 
in the month of December on the 23rd in 1620, construction on the Plymouth Colony begins. The Mayflower, carrying 102 passengers, left Plymouth, England for the New World on September 16, 1620. The group had people who were escaping religious persecution and others who were looking for business opportunities. Despite differences, this group formed the Mayflower Compact as they sailed, which would lay the groundwork for American democracy. This incorporated both majority rule and constitutional law. The Mayflower landed on Cape Cod on November 21st. A scouting group went out and found the perfect location for their settlement and named it after the place they'd come from, Plymouth. The Mayflower was brought down to the harbor and construction on dwellings began. The group would stay aboard the ship for several months as they worked on the settlement and eventually moved ashore permanently in March. Nearly half of them would die that first year, but eventually they flourished. The University of Northern Alabama is located in the city of Florence and has been a fixture here for almost 200 years. It started like most older colleges, in a different spot and much smaller. Today, it has grown into a large university covering several acres with many buildings. Several of those buildings are reputedly haunted, and there are even a couple of creepy statues that come to life. Join us as we share the history and haunts of the University of Northern Alabama. Florence, Alabama sits along the Tennessee River and is the largest city in the area that is commonly known as the Shoals. The city also has the distinction of being home to the only house in the state of Alabama designed by Frank Lloyd Wright, Kelly. Very cool. I love his architecture, as odd as some of them are. This makes me wonder, does every state have at least one? Possibly. That is something that we need to look into. That would be interesting to know. So here in Alabama, there's just one and it's right here in Florence. And that name, Florence. Where do you think they got that from? Not Florence Henderson. <laughs> Come stand by the money. As <laughs> that is something from my old radio show that I listened to for many years. They got invited to go on to the Brady Bunch. And she literally told them to come stand by the money for Which some of their shots. Her. Mark and Brian standing next to Florence Henderson. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm we, you know guessing what? for a I woman. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I don't know what the actual Italian city of Florence is named for, but it's named oh. after the Italian city Florence, which happens to be the capital of Tuscany. Okay. Well, I blew that. <laughs> but you had a great story to tell, and I'm sure we have <laughs> listeners from California who've listened to Mark and Brian years ago. I'm certain of that. I actually got to see the city of Florence standing from a like an overlook, and it is so cool to look out over all that Italian architecture down there and the basilicas and that kind of thing. I'm sure it is. And as you're driving through Tuscany, there's just rows and rows of sunflowers everywhere. It's kind of cool. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. An Italian surveyor named Ferdinand Sinaner first surveyed the town in 1818 for the Cypress Land Company. Florence was incorporated in 1826. Four years later, LaGrange College was founded and opened by the Methodist Church. Despite that origin, the goal was to have the college be neither religious or theological. This was actually not in Florence, but rather a mountain town called Lagrange, which means the barn in French. 
It was actually named LaGrange College because it was in LaGrange. By 1855, however, LaGrange College had moved to Florence. And that was fortunate, since Union troops burned the original school to the ground in 1863. The name of the school changed at that time to Florence Wesleyan University. This move to Florence was controversial, and many students and staff refused to move. It took three days to caravan everything to the new site, which consisted of a bunch of tents until buildings could be constructed. This reminds me of when they would have a gold rush and they would start a town and everything would be in tents or they'd have a huge fire in those old towns and burn everything down and they'd all be in their tents. So imagine you're like, now you're going to be going to a brand new college university site and here we go. And they're moving from a building to tents. What? Interesting. That is why the school needed to change its name. Admission to the university was tough. Students not only needed to have a command of grammar, geography, math, and Latin and Greek, but prospective students had to be able to translate parts of four books. Caesar's Gaelic Wars, six books of Virgil's Aeneid, Jacob or Felton's Greek Reader, and at least one of Xenophon's Anabas. There were 160 students enrolled at that first year after the move. Future politicians would graduate from here, along with Civil War generals. The Civil War would bring hardship to the university but it managed to keep from being destroyed, although various buildings would take turns being occupied by both sides. Can you imagine having to be able to translate parts of those four books? Nope. It's hard enough to even actually say their names. (laughs) This is true. I'd be like, uh, beats me, guess I'm not going to this college. In 1872, the Methodist Church deeded the university to the state of Alabama, and the name changed to the State Normal School at Florence. This would be the first teacher's college south of the Ohio River that was state-supported. At that time, the school was still only for men, but a year after this, women were allowed to enroll. The first women would enter the school in 1874, and the first female member of the faculty would be added in 1879. This made the university one of the first co-educational schools in the country. I know that normal sounds like it's kind of a lame name, but that's actually what they would call the teaching universities back then. They called them normal schools. It would remain a normal school for 50 years. In 1929, it branched into a four-year curriculum offering bachelor's degrees, the first of which was awarded in 1931. Graduate courses were offered later starting in 1956. In 1957, the college would change names again, this time to Florence State College. Although the school had been co-educational for years, there was still one milestone it needed to cross, and this came in 1963 when Wendell Wilkie Gunn became the first African-American student to enroll at the college. Gunn did have to sue for this to happen when he was initially denied admission. The trial lasted just 10 minutes, and Gunn's lawyer, Fred Gray, said in 2005 that this was the easiest case of my civil rights career. Gunn would eventually become an international trade advisor for President Ronald Reagan in 1982. By 1967, the school had expanded its program so much that it was agreed that another name change was necessary, and the school became Florence State University. Yes, those are a lot of name changes, and that leads to this little fun fact. Ethelbert Brinkley, E.B. Norton, was president of the institution for all three of those name changes. Wonder if he ever forgot which school it was that he was presiding over on a particular day. And with a name like Ethelbert, who wouldn't go by E.B. instead? (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Ethelbert. I've never heard that name before. I thought it was a female originally. On August 15, 1974, the university underwent its final name change and became the University of Northern Alabama. More master's programs were added and the school started enrolling thousands of students. 
Today, the campus is spread out over 200 acres and has nearly 6,500 students. The school nickname is the Lions, and it actually owns two live lions named Leo III and Una, who live in a state-of-the-art facility near the main campus entrance. There are many buildings and houses that make up the campus, and several of them have ghost stories connected to them. We're going to share those with you now. First up, we have the O'Neill House, and that's spelled O-N-E-A-L. The O'Neill House is located at 468 North Court Street. This was home to two governors of the state. Edward O'Neill was born in 1818 and attended the University of Northern Alabama when it was LaGrange College, graduating at the top of his class. He married Olivia Moore, and they had nine children together. When the Civil War broke out, O'Neill joined the Confederate Army as a captain and worked his way up in rank to colonel. During the Battle of Seven Pines, he was severely wounded and his horse was killed under him. He recovered and went on to lead regiments in several other battles. After the war, he worked in law and then politics and was elected governor in 1882, serving until 1886. He died in Florence, Alabama in 1890. The O'Neill House was built in the 1840s and the O'Neills bought it in 1857. Mrs. O'Neill loved the home from the moment she saw it, and it is said that she has stayed in the house even after her death. She is most often seen standing in an upstairs window and is described as beautiful with long blonde hair. For those who have encountered her apparition, they report that she is friendly. Next, we have the off-campus bookstore. The off-campus bookstore is located right next to the O'Neill house at 472 North Court Street. This house is a cute bungalow built in the early 1900s and was home to a young girl named Molly in the 1920s. The family had a family dog that unfortunately caught rabies. Molly loved to play with the dog, so it was only normal for her to reach out to her dog that appeared to not be feeling so well as it foamed at the mouth. The dog bit her and infected her with rabies. This was before there was a treatment for rabies and the poor girl died a horribly painful death right there in the house. And perhaps that's why she's returned in the afterlife. Or maybe she just misses her dog. People claim to see her apparition inside and outside of the house, and a few claim she has asked if they have seen her dog. Sometimes she seems to have found her dog as the pet appears with her. The Kappa Sigma fraternity used the house in the 1980s, and the room that was reputedly Molly's room was always painfully cold. A contractor claimed to see the girl during renovations. She appeared as a floating pink mist. He also heard disembodied footsteps like those of a barefoot child. Molly continues on in the bookstore with some poltergeist activity. Candy mysteriously disappears and objects get moved around. People also see the little girl looking out of the windows when the store is closed and no one is inside. If I was a little kid ghost, actually as an adult ghost, I will steal candy as well. I wonder if they have lemon heads. In the afterlife? (laughs) Or at the store? At the the bookstore? They might. So if they have lemon heads, you'll be stealing candy too. Yep. Next, we have the Norton Auditorium, which is located at 600 North Pine Street. At one time, this was the largest theater venue in the area and had been known as the Auditorium and Fine Arts Center. Major musical acts have performed here as well as theater productions. The auditorium underwent its first major renovation in January 2020. And we are sure that this helped to kick up activity because the spirit that haunts this place is not an entertainer, but rather a construction worker. 
The auditorium was built in the late 1960s, and a worker was working on a high beam when he fell to his death. His spirit remains and likes to play tricks, and people have taken to calling him George, although no one knows what his real name was. He makes noises throughout the building and plays with the lights. The theater crew claims that one night they turned off all the breakers so that they could change out the lighting. They went on a break, and when they returned, every light was ablaze, and the breakers were still off. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> the campus newspaper, the Florala, decided to have some of their staff try to communicate with George using a Ouija board back in 2011. Apparently, they did get some kind of communication that verified the legend. And there they go, tempting the spirits in a way that I don't think I would. <laughs> yeah, I'm still kind of hesitant with Ouija board activity. Next, we have Kobe Hall, which is located across the street from the Norton Auditorium. Before this was Kobe Hall, this was the Cortland Mansion. The mansion was built by John Simpson in the 1830s for his wife, Margaret Patton Simpson. It was built in the Georgian Revival architectural style. Simpson ran a mercantile business in Florence for many years. The Civil War found both the Union and Confederacy occupying the mansion at different points. So just like every other building here, it seems. Confederate General John Bell Hood was one of the occupiers. George Foster bought the house for his daughter Virginia and her husband James Irving after the war, which passed down through the family to the Irving's great-granddaughter, Mrs. Madding King. The Kings restored the house after World War II. Ellis Coates owned the house into the early 1980s, and he allowed Project Courtview to use the mansion for Florence's first decorator showcase. Kobe Hall got its name from its last private owners, David and Kobe Brubaker. Kobe died from cancer at a young age, and David gave the house to the University of Northern Alabama in memory of her. Kobe Hall was dedicated in 2005 and is the headquarters of UNA's admissions and recruiting. The mansion is also used for various events. I've seen things that like weddings took place there and such. The spirit here goes all the way back to the Simpsons. Margaret Simpson is believed to haunt the hall, and she dislikes any loud parties. She's made several appearances during parties. She's been seen in a navy skirt and white blouse, particularly on the first floor of the house. Were you going to say Marge? Marge Simpson? I mean, it's pretty close. <laughs> Margaret, I'm sure. That's a shortened version. The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> That ghost, she had Paul blue hair. It was oh my the strangest God. <laughs> thing I've ever seen. And now we move on to Willingham Hall, which is a college administrative building located at 687-601 North Morrison Avenue. This site originally was home for the Locustell Academy, which ran from 1834 to 1843. The private school had been established by a man named Nicholas Hentz and his wife, Carolyn. Carolyn was Alabama's first best-selling novelist. The current building was constructed in 1939 by President Franklin Roosevelt's Work Progress Administration as a men's dormitory. The Tennessee Valley Authority housed employees there during World War II, and after the war, it was a boys' dormitory. In 1947, the dormitory switched to a female dormitory, and it remained that way until 1968. The name officially became Willingham Hall in 1949 for one of the college's presidents, Dr. Henry J. Willingham. His support of a new sales tax in Alabama helped ensure that the teachers at the college got their full pay. Prior to this, most teachers were working 12 months for nine months of pay. The first reports of haunting activity came from an English professor who had returned to his office for a book when he heard an awful banging coming from the basement. He decided to investigate and found nothing in the basement. He went back to his office and the banging started again. This scared him to hear it a second time and he ran from the building. There are reports that Nicholas Hentz liked to play music loudly at night, and there are claims that he is responsible for the noise. 
not sure exactly what he's playing. If he's just banging something, banging on a something to be like a drum, I a don't pan. Know. <laughs> ding ding ding! I'm playing my drums. Phi Gamma Delta House. This is located at five two three Oakview Circle. In 2017, this grand home was nearly destroyed in a fire, but it's back to its former elegance after extensive restorations. This is why you do not leave your smoking implements laying outside on the balcony because that's what started the fire. Yikes. The Phi Upsilon chapter of the fraternity calls the house home, and they apparently share it with a female ghost named Ella. Ella fell down the stairs and died, according to legend. Because of this, her disembodied screams are heard. She also seems to be jealous when the brothers bring their girlfriends into the house, and she'll act out in a poltergeist fashion. And on to Wesleyan Hall, which is located on Kramer Way and is probably the coolest building on campus and its oldest. The Gothic Revival architecture has many castle elements like battlements that surround the roofline. The building was designed by Adolphus Hyman, who was a Prussian engineer, stonecutter, and architect. The builder was Zebulon Pike Morrison, and the building was made from brick that was made on the southern edge of the campus and slave labor did the construction. Construction was completed in 1856. This served as Florence Wesleyan University. During the Civil War, both sides occupied the building at various times, one of whom was General Sherman. After the war, the university started up again, but with only one professor. The school foundered and closed in 1871. The school was turned over to the state, and they chartered it as a normal school, and a three-story building was added in 1909. Eventually, the buildings became part of the University of Northern Alabama and served as the Departments of Foreign Language, Geography, and Psychology. The ghost that haunts this building is a young boy thought to be named Jeremiah. Legend claims that he was the son of one of General Sherman's officers and served as a Union drummer. He went for a swim and unfortunately drowned. People claim to see his wet footprints on the floor and his apparition has been seen standing still wet as though he's just finished a swim. The campus newspaper conducted an investigation in 2011, and during that, doors opened and closed by themselves, and computers turned on and off by themselves. And onto the Geo University Center, which is located at 202 Geo University Center in the heart of the campus. The building was constructed in 1986 on the former site of O'Neill Hall, which had been there since 1913. It is named for Robert M. Geo, who was UNA's former president from 1972 to 1989. Today, this serves as a student union with a mailroom for students, food court, meeting rooms, banquet facilities, 300-seat performance hall, and the lion's den game room. The resident spirit in this building seems to be a carryover from the O'Neill Hall. Legend claims that a girl named Priscilla hanged herself in an elevator shaft. Several students claimed to see her apparition in the building looking very forlorn. One student claimed to hear the sobs of a woman when he was locking up the building after a fraternity meeting. He followed the sounds upstairs and saw a translucent woman weeping. He ran out of there. Local author Deborah Johnson was once leading a tour on the campus and the group experienced some weird stuff at the front of the center. The elevator doors opened and closed on their own even though the building was closed for the night. And then the front door opened by itself even though it clearly had to have been locked. And then we mentioned in the intro that there were these moving statues or statues that come to life. And those are the Romeo and Juliet statues that are here on campus. Now, I'm not exactly sure where they're located. So if we have any listeners who have either visited this campus or actually go there, we'd love to know where we could find them. This is probably the strangest paranormal story that is on the campus. Legend claims that these statues take flight on nights with a full moon. 
No one knows how this happens, but every Halloween, Romeo ends up with a pumpkin in his hands. There are a couple of theories. Obviously, ours, since we're skeptics, would be, you know, some students or students are having a little bit of fun here. Go out and get a pumpkin, and every year they make sure they put it in his hand, and it carries on the tradition. Others claim that this is part of some kind of pagan Halloween ritual. Faculty members like to claim that Romeo goes out and searches for a pumpkin to give to his love, Juliet. Those are fun, but what is not fun are the stories that students tell of being chased by the Romeo statue as it throws pumpkins at them. That would be even more fun if they were flaming a la Headless Horseman. Some believe Romeo might be looking for a new love, and that's why he's been seen in the women's bathroom in Stevens Hall. And one male student reported seeing Romeo standing over the fallen body of a woman. He fled and called police, who could find nothing to back up the story. The student swore that he'd heard a female crying and had seen the statue standing over that woman. Juliet is adventurous, too. She's been spotted atop Wesleyan Hall with her eyes burning red, which would be very cool to see because that building looks like a castle at the top. So then to see her standing up there with those flaming red eyes. (laughs) Definitely. A female student claimed that the statue had attacked her. She had been crossing the bridge to the Gio University Center when several strands of her hair were pulled out. When she turned around, the statue of Juliet was floating above her with blood red eyes and she was laughing. Ouch. Yeah, getting your hair pulled. (laughs) Yes. The University of Northern Alabama has some beautiful and interesting buildings. Could it be that several of these places are haunted? That That is for you to decide. decide. We got a lot of those haunted building stories from Lewis O. Powell, the Force blog, Southern Spirit Guide. I encourage you to check it out. Kelly, we encourage people to check out our website as well, historyghostbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com or a lot of various other places. You can either comment in the Spooktacular crew or on the website or over at Instagram. And we have some of those to share with you right now. We heard from Mary over on Facebook, and she just let us know that she just found the podcast and had been really enjoying it. And she had suggested that we do Deadwood, which is a location that we had actually already done. And one of her favorite places there was the Bullock, which is a main part of that episode. And she wanted to share some experiences that she had had. She said, I just finished that episode and the Mineral Palace Hotel in gaming does have a reputation for ghosts. I worked there as a housekeeper when I was a teenager. It was my first job and doors would sound like they were shutting and closing, but no one was in the halls. When my brother worked there as a gaming person, the person who would take the money and help you on the machines and everything like that, he'd shut down for the night and the machines would turn back on all by themselves again. She also stayed at the Bullock. My friend and I went up there for her birthday, not a 21st, but a sweet 16. Her and I love ghosts and the rich history, and so we chose Deadwood. As a treat, we got to stay in a room at Bullock for three nights. Well, that's cool. The first night, we heard someone fooling with our door and children running in the hallways. We stayed on the second floor furthest from the stairs, so pretty far back in the building, and I remember one night our door wouldn't open. Her dad was getting kind of mad and told us to stop screwing around. The door refused to open for him, so he went to get someone from the front desk. So this guy comes up there, he's a big bulky man, and he asked the kids to stop messing around, and he opened the door for us. He told us sometimes kids are to blame and shrugged and walked away. Then there was this light outside the bathroom, and my friend had to relieve herself and shut the door. Seconds later, as I'm sitting there writing my novel, I hear her scream and asked her why she was screaming. She told me that I wasn't funny and to turn on the light. Then she goes on to explain to her, you know, I didn't do it. Come over here and look at how much I wrote since you were in the bathroom. And she could see by the word count that it had gone up. So she knew she hadn't gone over there and played around with the (laughs) bathroom light. 
Bullock for sure creeped us out. If the ghosts were kids or not, they sure seemed to be playful. Well, playful's always good. <laughs> I definitely enjoy that. Then another thing that happened to him, too, that she remembered a little bit later was uh, another cool thing that happened was when we were doing a card game, they were playing Uno. The cards were tossed as if a gust of wind blew them. That's pretty weird. She says she totally wants to return. I don't blame her. Have you been to Deadwood before? I've never been to Deadwood. Nope. I, I went briefly. Oh, did you? I did. Oh, very cool. Indeed. Susan wrote in the Spooktacular crew, good morning. I'm just listening to back episodes and I'm on episode 352. Diane, you talk about a newer build home and your experience with a man saying hello. I just moved from a house that was only 12 years old and the footsteps on the second floor were so distinct that I recorded them on my phone. I spoke to the previous inhabitant and while he had never heard anything odd, his teenage son occupied that room. So hearing footsteps would not have caught his attention because he would have probably sure. his kid. I live alone. So clear, distinct footsteps that were defined enough to document on an iPhone sure got mine. And then she also sent us an email. In the email, she said, I've lived in two active homes, one crazy busy, which was located on the path of the Underground Railroad. And I've worked in a feisty 117 year old building and have had many random encounters along the way. And she wanted to say, Kelly, that she really likes our demeanor and the respect with which we do our investigations. Oh, well, we appreciate that. I mean, we just kind of approach it like we would with any person. So we try to have that respect and we get great responses so far. She writes, my career is in corporate event sales for resorts and hotels and much against my advice, paranormal investigators have been brought in with disastrous results due to arrogance, bumbling and a generally bad attitude toward those currently without corporal form. After these terrible sessions, I would receive the recordings and it was like listening to someone trying to coax a trained seal to perform. I was as appalled and irritated as our eternal guests must have been and was so angry that I was able to put a stop to it once and for all. With this awful experience behind me, the way in which you communicate to both sides of the veil just made me happy and appreciative for your respectful, knowledgeable, and calm approach. And she said, I'm only two episodes in, but little George and Charleston and the young boy at the prison really touched me. Aw, well, they touched us as well. Not literally, but... (laughs) So I wrote her and then she wrote me back and she said, I'd love to share some of my experiences and it's a relief to know there's a great group of people who understand. That's our spectacular crew for sure. Absolutely. My mom was, quote unquote, one of us and was one of us, one of us (laughs) (laughs) and was my go to for these conversations. My kids don't like talking about their experiences, so they're out of my ghost chat circle and most other people give me the look. Nothing bad happened to the kids, but they feel strongly that those who aren't currently living simply shouldn't be moving their stuff around. Can't argue with that. One of our personalities was an older woman, and she stayed pretty much on the side of the house where my bedroom was. I awakened one morning completely tucked in and snugged all the way up to my chin like the way our mothers did when we were small. I'd been going through a divorce and was unnerved, so it felt caring and supportive. Yeah, that's That's amazing. Yes, I was alone in the house, and when I awoke, my bedroom door was closed and locked. That part I never understood. And then she said, if we're ever in Gettysburg, to let her know. Definitely. We will definitely be there. (laughs) 2021 is going to be difficult for us. We're not exactly sure what we're going to be doing because we have a rescheduled Alaskan cruise in June. Not sure if that's going to happen. If it does not happen, we're going to have a lot of other things where we're going to other places. If it is still going to be on, then we're going to probably stick mostly around here to Florida because we don't have a whole lot of time off. So. And then finally, Teresa had written this in the Spooktacular crew, and you're going to love it, Kelly. (laughs) Diane and Kelly, I just had to tell you about my water witching experience on Christmas afternoon. We had a water line break the Saturday before Christmas and had been living like Little House on the Prairie because we both worked different schedules and couldn't afford to hire a plumber. So 
Anyway, my baby daughter works for the water plant in a neighboring town and told me she'd help us fix it Christmas afternoon. We dug and dug where we thought the leak appeared to be, but no success. Finally, my daughter asked if I had any stiff wire that she could use to make witching rods so she could locate the line. I was dumbfounded when she told me they use them all the time out in the field to locate old lines that don't appear on the city maps. She said every city worker has a pair in their truck. Anyway, long story short, I got her the wire, she cut and bent it, and within 10 minutes I was watching her witch the line. The most amazing thing I've ever seen. Oh, and I forgot to add that our property used to be part of a huge nursery stock area many years ago, so there are a gazillion water lines branching off in all directions. I've got to say, I'd heard stories of people dousing for water from my grandparents, but seeing them actually work in front of my eyes was awesome. We got the leak fixed and now have water again, and that was the best gift we got this Christmas. Awesome. That is so cool. That is one thing, I don't know if we told people, but I'd gotten you some new dousing rods last Christmas. And we don't use them as much because you are you don't really like the handles on them as much. Well, they I, I just have issues with those sticking as with the other ones. I don't know what the issue is. But we did initially test them. We turned on the water in the sink and held them over it and bam, they just went like that. And then and I told Kelly, after listening to this story, we've had two leaks in our sprinkler system since we moved in here <laughs> two years ago. And we didn't find out about them until we were, we had the line out front wouldn't shut off every so often. Right. It was like that one section and we're like, what is going on? So you were like, I think it's a solenoid. So when we went in there to try to fix it, we find out the gasket was totally trashed. Right. And so it had been leaking for we don't know how long, which is why our water bill was probably a little bit higher. (laughs) So we fixed that. And then we'd noticed a few weeks ago that it looked like something was burrowing along our sidewalk line. And the one day I was like, huh, that sprinkler there is a little cockeyed. And I went to try to push it back in thinking it hadn't gone back down in its hole and it was all wobbly. And I'm like, oh, it's like totally broken off. So yeah, that was fun. Yeah. So that was leaking all (laughs) over. So I'm like, too bad we hadn't decided to go around and witch our sprinkler system and find out if there were leaks. No kidding. We already (laughs) had the tools available. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we want to thank you guys for listening to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We want to thank Beth Vanderyacht for your one-time donation. And Beth and her husband already give to us every single month. So you guys are so, so generous. They are thank so you dang generous. so much. And we are going to get out to California for longer than just a little overnight, quick, barely right. 24 hours so we can hang out with you guys COVID again. COVID calms down. Yes. And we also want to thank Amy Martinez for raising your support. We're going to be moving you into a garden tomb. And Carrie Kelly, thank you for raising your support. You're moving into a garden tomb as well. And both you ladies will have a mug coming in three months. Awesome. Thank you so much for supporting HGB. We so appreciate it. And we could not produce this podcast without your support. So thank you. And we gave a special magnet to everybody who supports the show, whether it's at $1 or $25 a month. It was a magnet featuring Kelly and I cartoonified, if that's a word, (laughs) in our Halloween costumes. Indeed it was. And Kelly, I always make extras because I never know if people are going to sign up or whatever. And so we have some carryover. So if you are interested in getting one of those magnets, what do you have to do? You just sign up at the $5 and above level and do that for a couple months. And we'll be sending a magnet and a sticker out to you as well. And Stone Tomb and Creepy Kelly will be eternally grateful. (laughs) Want to keep the spooks away? Give us a review.
Hello? 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 Is anyone there? Yours isn't on. Hello? There you go. Now it's on. Save me. From what? You. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly, you are not going to smack me. (laughs) Kelly, we're going to school this day. Despite differences, this group formed the Maypower. Maypower. They have girl power. power. (laughs) Girl power. No. I have the power. Oh my gosh. I'm Skeletor. You don't look like him. (laughs) Sometimes I do. (laughs) You probably feel like him sometimes. (laughs) Often. An Italian surveyor named Ferdinand Sananer. Sananer. Would you say it's an honor? I'll say it that way. Sanana, banana. Sabana, banana, wana, wana, wana. I'm sure he's so <laughs> pleased that we have changed his last name for Maybe him. Maybe we should Google it. I'll just go with Sanana. Sanana. I'll go with Sanana. That sounds good. <laughs> oh, my word. Because it's sand, sand, sanander, sanander. <laughs> well, everybody will hear how it comes out when Merry it's edited. Christmas. <laughs> an Italian surveyor named Ferdinand Sanana first say. First sovereign. My word. No, I can't it's say anything. Be an interesting recording. <laughs> Stop. It's <already>. actually lamed. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> We're doing this at what time in the morning? Eleven thirty. I should be perfectly awake. I've already <laughs> mowed the lawn today, and it's freezing out. You mowed the. I mowed most of the lawn. Well, I weed whacked, but and you pulled did weeds. all the other jobs. Yes. And it was I can't control the weed. Whacker. Forty degrees out there. Yeah, your brain's still a little. I about froze to froze. death. <laughs> <laughs> I can relate. Well, I'm glad you're excited about the episode. <laughs> I'm just tired. Still recovering from the road trip and Christmas. And that this move to Florence was controversial. Controversial. Students not only needed to have a command of grammar, geology, geology, or geography, <laughs> got, whichever. I've I mean, rocks, countries, what's the difference? They both start with geo. Geo, Lisa, this is your fault. <laughs> Mrs. O'Neill loved the home from the monument. She's <laughs> monument moment. <laughs> I'm tired. <Words>. <laughs> <sighs> The builder was Zebulon Mike Porison. <laughs> Mike? Mike Porison instead of Mike Morrison. All right. Well, the builder was Zebulon Mike Por. Hi, oh my God, I'm doing Did it again. again. <laughs> Damn it. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 